All right, well, good evening, everybody. Uh, if you want to turn in your... Hey, I got a salute in the back. Okay, all right, that's the first. Um, I probably did that horribly, by the way. I apologize. I don't mean to offend anyone who served. Um, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, uh, if you have that or on your phone, that's where we're going to be spending our time tonight in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, so last week we started just this simple series this month called... Lessons from the birth of Jesus. And this time of year, as many people are thinking about the birth, uh, I thought we would spend some time on that. Uh, we speak of the death and the resurrection very often, and that's where we place our emphasis. You especially think about the first day of the week and the communion. Uh, they were to remember the Lord's death. Uh, we, we emphasize it, and rightly so. Uh, but that doesn't mean we should never think about the birth. Uh, the birth is worthy of our attention, and we talked briefly about that last week. The fact that God became flesh is earth-shattering. I mean, that's life-changing for all people, including us. God becoming flesh means God is knowable. The invisible God, the, the one you had to imagine. He came and put on flesh so that you could see Him, and through His personality and how He lived, you could see what God really is like. God becoming flesh means that He loves mankind, and that means He loves you means that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be connected with you. And he was willing, he wanted that connection so bad that he was willing to leave his form, Paul would say in Philippians 2. He would leave whatever you would call home for him. He would leave everything he's known to live this life on earth. And I think we'd all say this life is beautiful and a blessing, but it's not always beautiful and always a blessing, is it? And he was willing to leave perfection to suffer and live as a man. Uh, that should mean a lot to us. And so the birth of Christ is, is the greatest, one of the greatest sacrifices we ever know. When we think about the sacrifice of Christ, we think of the cross. Just coming to earth was a sacrifice. And so uh, it changes everything for us. And last week we talked about we're not really looking at just the birth per se every time we're together this month. But we want to look at some of the individuals surrounding the birth of Jesus. What's interesting about all of them, whether they were... Uh, for Christ or against Christ is that all of their lives changed in some way as they encountered him and as they interacted in his story and in his life. And last week we looked at the earthly father. We kind of called him the stepfather of Jesus and Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. Do you remember why he was a righteous man that we talked about last week? What about him, what about him and his situation made him a just man when it came to the birth of Jesus? Yeah, he, he resolved to put away his wife quietly. He thought she was unfaithful while they were betrothed, which is kind of like fiancé, but it's far more serious than that in Jewish culture. And he said, I'm not going to publicly shame her. I'm not going to punish her. I'm not going to make it a spectacle for everyone to see. I'm going to do it quietly, to, out of honoring of her, respecting of her. He was a just man. And we talked about last week that how we treat people who have or who we think have wronged us says a lot about who we are. Um, and we all deal with that in this life. And we also talked about how sometimes we make decisions based upon assumptions. He made an assumption that she had been unfaithful. We would all have made that assumption, all of us. But he was wrong. And sometimes we do the same. We make judgments about people or situations and we don't know the whole story. And so maybe we need to slow down a bit. Maybe we need to uh, consult God and his word on our situations and judgments. And... Uh, but he made some assumptions. But the wonderful thing about Joseph, this righteous man, was when God told him the truth and what he wanted him to do, Joseph did it. Joseph was an example of faith. Uh, 
and obedience. And that's who we should be too. When God speaks, we listen. When God speaks, we act. That should be the kind of people we want to be. And so last week we talked about Joseph was an amazing father from the very little we know. He was a merciful father, just like Jesus had a heavenly father who was merciful. And he was a faithful man from everything we see in Scripture. And tonight, I want to look at these, a group of people and an individual. I want to look at the wise men in Herod. If you've ever seen a nativity scene on grass, or if you've seen a play or production or a movie or whatever, you're probably familiar with some of these you know, pictures of the manger and the wise man. I promise we'll talk about Mary, by the way. I promise I'm not just being a 28-year-old male skipping the Mary story. Uh, I'm saving her for the last one, okay? Uh, but we're going to talk about the wise men in Herod and just who they were and maybe some lessons that we can learn from them. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 2. And I know, by the way, some of this is, they aren't involved in the birth per se, but they're involved in this whole story. The early life, it's very connected. So I thought we'd talk about them. But look at Matthew chapter 2. And what I want to do first is just read the first uh, 12 verses together. And then we'll kind of chop it up and go through it. Uh, So look at verse 1 with me in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, uh, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country uh, by another way. As we look at that tonight... Notice how the chapter started uh, after the birth of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, you get she's with child and Joseph's going to leave her. Joseph finds out the truth. He doesn't have any relations with her. And the next chapter is just, oh, and they have the child. Matthew really doesn't get into the details. Uh, This isn't mentioned in John or Mark. Luke goes into more of the birth. So so we'll see that in a few, uh, in a week uh, we, yeah, a week, I believe. But Matthew just, is just really kind of hitting some highlights, and it's tr- he's trying to do things to fit his purpose and trying to show the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. So he doesn't get deep into the actual details of all the birth stuff. But he says, hey, she's born. Or, not she, sorry, Jesus. He's born. Uh, he was born. And so notice where he's born. Just a few details from Luke that we'll mention. In Luke chapter 2, Look, I have it up here on the screen too. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, just a few details that might matter to you and I. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So there was a census. 
Uh, this was the first registration when Quirinius uh, was governor of Syria. Don't name your kid Quirinius. I can't say that. No one's going to know how to spell that. Okay, anyway. Uh, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Uh, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Uh, just a few things to note. There's a census. So you're like, well, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Well, they had traveled there for the census. They had to get registered. That's where he needed to go. That's where he's, uh, that's his home in a way. Bethlehem was a small town about six miles south from Jerusalem. Uh, and this was the birthplace of many people in scripture, including King David. And that's important because Jesus is son of David. So it just fits this kingly Messiah lineage. And so it's in Bethlehem, in Matthew chapter 2, where we pick up. And we'll go into more of the Luke stuff next week. But if you go back to Matthew 2, we pick up, we'll read verse 1 and 2 one more time. Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So I, I told you this, I think, last week. I really have never studied the birth of Jesus much in my life. Not as a teenager. I mean, I knew Jesus was born, spoiler alert, but didn't think much about it more than that. I knew who the wise men kind of were. I didn't realize how many questions that you really can have about the wise men that you just don't know. For example, who are they? Who are they? Uh, what does your Bible call them? So the ESV I'm reading out, it says wise men. Does anybody say anything different? Magi. Okay, so you get magi or wise men in, in most of the translations that I think we're using in here. That word wise men or magi comes from a word that often referred to a class of Persian wise men, uh, possibly priests, people who were interpreters of special signs, particularly in astrology. Uh, eventually that word would be used to refer to one who possessed supernatural knowledge and ability. It was used to talk about those who they referred to as a magician or even a deceiver or a seducer. Now, some people call them kings. There's really no history or biblical evidence for them to be kings. But you kind of go, well, who are wise men? Who are magi? It seems they're people who can interpret special signs because they are, if you notice here, they're interested in the signs from the heavens, the stars. They come from the east. And when I think of the east, I think of people like the Babylonians. Remember David? Or, sorry, not David, Daniel. In Daniel's time, he had dreams. He was an interpreter. Plenty of Jewish people would have been in captivity. They would have had a chance to start to know some of the Jewish scriptures. And so these people come. Uh, they are interpreters of special signs, uh, these wise men, per se. And uh, that seems to be who they are, but we really don't know much about them. And there's no way to be absolutely sure. Uh, who they were. You see in verse 2 and later in verse 10 about the astrology stuff. They seem to know something about the stars and the signs. But we have no way of knowing for certain who they were. And I'm just going to say this now. A lot of the questions you have about the wise men, the answer is, we have no way of knowing for certain the answer. Another question you might have about these guys is, where did they come from? Where does it say they came from? Okay, that's helpful, isn't it? Because everywhere I go today, I say, I'm headed down. Even when I'm going up, I'm going north, I say, I'm going to head down to so-and-so. Now, they were actually from the east, but where is that? I mean, there's plenty of places they could have been from. Um, 
when it says they came from the east, that phrase can be translated more literally from the rising of the sun. Um, so this could have been Arabia, Persia, Chaldea. It could have been any of the other provinces adjacent to Palestine. One early church father claimed they were from Arabia. A few others claimed they were from Persia. Um, hey, but guess what? We can't be certain where they're from. Besides the fact it's, it's from the east. Okay, that makes you ask this question. Were they Jews or were they Gentiles? They come from the east. You might originally think, that sounds like Gentiles. But then, notice some of the things they... Who are they there to worship? Does that sound like a Gentile to you? And this time, this is, you know, people don't know of Jesus. Really, you know, the Jesus the Gentiles would come to know in his miracles. They don't know this yet. They're looking for his star. They have some inclination of who he is, but are they Gentiles or Jews? There, there are some questions there. Traditionally, it's been thought they were Gentiles. Um, for example, in verse 2, they had to be told, um, and verse 6, they had to be told of where David's great successor was to be born. That, hey, where is, he, where is he born? A Jew would probably know the idea that it's going to be Bethlehem. So maybe they're Gentiles. Um, but then again, we're not certain they're Gentiles because Jews had been scattered abroad from the 8th to 6th century. They've been scattered abroad for years before this. Um, remember the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, that chapter I never stop talking about when I speak? And it says people, Jews from all many nations came, devout men. Multiple of those nations are from the east. Um, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, many of those people had settled east uh, from captivity and things of that nature. Okay, here's another great question. How many wise men are, they, are there? When you look at these nativity scenes or productions or whatever, how many are typically put? Why is that? What did you say? Flying was expensive? Oh, plywood is expensive. I was like, flying would be expensive. Uh, okay. There's three gifts mentioned. Um, and so it's either A, because we just put three with three, which I don't know how heavy the stuff they were carrying is, but we say one gift per person, I guess. Um, or maybe it's because we don't have enough actors for the plays people put on. I don't know, but we typically think three. What does the Bible say? It's just wise men. So, so we don't know that either. Um, when did they arrive? That's another question we have. Yeah, yeah, and we don't know, we don't know that, but we would, there's a lot of things like that, you know. There, there could have been plenty that could have had guards. Same thing with, you know, the birth of Jesus. We don't know, was there a midwife there? All things, there, there's a bunch of these that we don't really know. Um, but what we see with the wise men is there's multiple. And they are there and they bring these gifts. When did they arrive? That's a question. Uh, after the birth. Thank you for that, Bob. You are awesome. Um, a plus student. Uh, no. In productions, or when people talk about this or you see it, sometimes it seems like it happens that very night. I don't think that's the case um, because it says they visit, the, what we read is they visited Herod when the child was born, and then they go find uh, the child. And then they're in a house. So there's this manger, and then by the time they're there, they're in a house. So we, it doesn't seem it's the, that night. After 40 days, Mary would have to go to the temple for purification, and so... There's some speculation on the time, but it appears that some or much time has passed. We aren't certain exactly how long. 
A lot of people say it might have been a year. It could have been within a year. It might have been a year or a little more. One of the reasons for that is when Herod decides to do that very wicked thing and kill all the boys in the town, what age did he start with? Okay, so he had to remember, when, when did this happen? He asked the wise men that, and he says two. Like, that's the cutoff. That's his safe cutoff of, I'll get this child if it's two or below. And so that's why we think the wise men came much later um, than just the week of or the month of. Um, but once again, we don't know uh, the exact age. Uh, what I want to talk to you tonight, though, is just as we take some lessons from this real quick. Wise men then and wise men today are the same. I know we talk about wise men then, they're astrologers or sign people, but I mean today, people with wisdom, they're the same. Here's how they're, I think I just skipped verses, sorry about that. Uh, Wise men are the same in these ways. Wise men diligently seek Jesus until they find him. That is true of wise men then, these men, and that's true of wise men uh, today. Regardless of wherever they came from, whether it was Arabia, Babylonia, you know, Persia, you think their trip was convenient? There wasn't a flight. There wasn't a car. They're bringing along things. That's a lot of traveling. There's walking. There's horse, whatever it was. It's not convenient. They sacrificed money, time, energy uh, in the search of Christ. Hey, wise men do that very same thing today. Wise men diligently seek Jesus. And when they diligently seek Jesus... That means it costs them things. Isn't that what Jesus said? For those who are willing to, who want to find their life, they will what? Those who really seek, who want to find me, it it costs them a little bit. That's the same today. You know, sometimes we talk about who's a seeker. You know, who are the people really seeking Jesus? And we try to see what, what do they look like? How do we reach them? But when we really think about characteristics of seekers, it's those people who are diligently searching and they're willing to sacrifice to find it, to find him. They'll part with their time, their energy, their money. They're willing to dig and to search and to, you know, to scratch because they want to find Jesus. Wise men do that today. Um, wise men is not just, I checked off a box and showed up, but it's, I, I'm actually searching for Jesus and I'm willing to sacrifice to find that. And I'm not going to stop until I find it. Remember Jesus' promise of asking it, what? You know, seek and you will find. You actually have to seek, though. Not the, I'm kind of interested in Jesus, but I don't want to do anything to really find him or truth. you got to dig. you got to seek. And he says, hey, you will find. Uh, but wise men, they diligently seek Jesus. We see that in verse 1 and verse 9. For them coming and then for everything that happened as they found him again. Uh, a few other things, wise men are the same. Same is true of then and today. Wise men worship Christ. If you look at verse 11... Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The moment they find Jesus, the very moment, their first response is to fall down and worship. You might ask yourself, what did they think about Jesus? Was this a, he's going to be king and Messiah and some physical, political ruler, so we want to be in good favor from the beginning? Or did they see him as a spiritual king or more than just, did they see him as son of God? Don't necessarily know exactly, but what we do see is they seem to worship him in a very reverent and fearful and awful way here. But the moment they find him, they bow and they worship. L- listen, they didn't, they didn't bow down and worship Herod. 
when they met him, the text says. Herod the Great. They worshiped Jesus. Today, wise men do the very same thing. Today, wise men, when they, when they know Jesus, when they come to know him, when they find him, when they seek him, their response is one of worship. They don't encounter Jesus and become a skeptic. They don't encounter Jesus and oppose him or react negatively. Wise men, when they, when they find Jesus, they understand who he is as Messiah, as God, and they worship. They bow down in respect and honor and gratitude, and they give him his praises because they understand who God is. And you see that from the very beginning. Is that everything making sense so far as we're going through this a bit? Um, notice this other one. Same verse. Wise men bring gifts to Jesus. Um, these gifts that were brought. You have gold. Okay, that could have been precious metal that was in raw form. It could have been coins. It could have been finished jewelry. Not sure, but now what's interesting is gold was a gift that was commonly given to kings. We see some Old Testament passages where gold was brought to kings. Well, here is the king of everything who's born as a man, and they bring gold. Then you have frankincense. When I was a kid, I thought it said Frankenstein. Um, not true. That doesn't seem like a very good gift. Uh, frankincense is a resin, or uh, it's a resin or white gum that's obtained from several several kind of Arabian trees. It's a pleasant odor. It was used in offering worship. It was used in embalming fluid. It was used in fumigation. It was sometimes used in medicine. They bring that. They also bring myrrh. That's another resin or gum. It was sometimes used to scent clothes or beds. It was used sometimes in partly of anointing oil. Some of these gifts might not cost that much today. And this time, they were pricey. So that this wasn't like... You know when you show up to like your great-grandparents' house sometimes and they just kind of give you that random gift that you're never going to use? You know, like you got the bookmark for the 37th time, you know what I mean? And you're like, you're appreciative, but you know, just that wasn't like they just brought them some random gift is what I'm saying. It was expensive, it was costly, and they brought something, they sacrificed uh, whatever they brought to Jesus. Today, wise men do the very same thing. They come to Jesus and they, they bring gifts too. They, they bring the gifts whether that is money or their things or how they use their things, whether it's their home, they bring their work, they bring their time, they bring their energy, they bring their words, they bring all that to Jesus. Wise men are the same. See, there's this parallel between, I know the word wise men isn't what we call it, but there's a parallel we see in these two. And then lastly, what we find is wise men don't turn away from Jesus. In verse 12, says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Uh, what did Herod ask them to do? Do you remember this we just read? What did he want them to do? Tell me where he was. And what was his reasoning that he told them? Now, if you don't know anything about Herod, that sounds like a pretty good guy. That was not really his intent. And they probably knew that from the get-go. But he did not want to go there to worship. And you see that with his actions that follow. Uh, he wanted to go kill Jesus. And we'll talk about Herod in a moment or two. Um, but they had the option to go back to Herod. They knew, they knew there were consequences for probably going, not going back to Herod. Um, he wanted them to return, to bring him word. Um, and they were warned in a dream. There's dreams throughout the first few chapters of Matthew, if you haven't noticed that yet. But they knew his power. They knew there could be consequences, but they chose Jesus over Herod. Wise men today are the very same. They don't turn from Jesus. 
when they know him, when they come to find him, they don't reject him. They don't choose a different king. They don't turn back to a lifestyle of sin. They don't become an enemy of Jesus. They live loyally to Jesus. They're appreciative of who they've found and who they know and the relationship they have with him. And so they don't turn. And, you know, it's just a few little verses about these wise men, and we know very little about them, but there's a lot of application for you and I about what it really means to be a wise man today. And this is just a few of those things I wanted to pull out for you. Before we go to Herod, any thoughts, comments, or questions about these guys? Yeah, Mike? Uh, as you were talking, I, I, uh, I thought that uh, we, we don't have answers as to uh, how did they know that that star was significant? How did they know, you know that this person, this king, this baby was worthy to be worshipped and so on? So how did they know all of that? Well, it says uh, in a dream, uh, God warned them against terror and they took another way. There's a lot that the Bible doesn't say, but that doesn't uh, mean that God was not working with them. In other words, whether it be through a dream or inspiration, so on and so forth, to reveal to them things that uh, they would not have understood or known in any other way. I think God is the one that sent them on the search uh, for the star. I don't think that... You know, pagans, uh, non-Jews would have you yeah. know, started looking for the Messiah. So, anyway, what I'm saying is, let's not discount God working in the lives of people who are not necessarily Jewish. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It, it, purpose. it is very possible that God could have been the one who told them to go. A very, I mean, if they're Gentiles, and by the way, how fitting would that be that here is this king who's a Jew? And the first people to come and worship him that we see are Gentiles. I mean, that's a great preview of what the gospel is going to be like if that's the case. But yeah, God could be working. And in, in, there's a lot of ways God worked, I'm sure, throughout time that we don't know about. We have such a limited view. But that, that's a good point, Marty. They, they did make specific <coughs> observations about that star. So we know that, that it's not, we saw the star and we thought something's up. They, they knew specifically. There's somebody being born who's worthy of worship. Mm-hmm. And I... Like you said, it's not just what the scripture says, it's what it doesn't say, because these are guys that came from the east, and it, it, the narrative makes it sound like they came from far off, but where were the priests? Where was the high priests? Where were the Levites? Where were the people right there in the country of Judea who should have, we might think today, seen the signs, known the prophecies, been looking for the fulfillment of these so that their Messiah would be recognized. And yet John says, he came to his own, and what happened? He received him not. And yet here are these, quote, strangers from nowhere who show up, and they know this guy's worthy of worship. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of questions, because there's there's some little textual evidence for they could have been Gentiles, and there's little things that make you go, or they could have been a Jew, were they people in captivity who had seen some of these prophecies and saw the star? Could God have told them? Are they just Gentiles that God's working through? They, they don't know a few things from Scripture. It seems like Bethlehem that make you go, okay, maybe they're not Jews. But regardless, these men see this star. God's working in their life somehow, and they come. And uh, they lay down and worship. But, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. It says uh, they departed to their own country by another way. Yeah. One was the king's highway going to the uh, west side through the mountains. And, and it, it come from 
the King's Highway come all the way up from Egypt and went north. And when it says the other way, another way, was by way of the sea. They had another highway. So there was two highways back then. The highways, what we would call highways, was only like four feet wide. The width, the width of the chariot was a highway. Yeah. We, we don't, I mean, there's, there's definitely highways. Uh, we don't know what route they went. Apparently they took the scenic route because someone was trying to kill them, I, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, but they said, yeah, we'll go the long way. Um, we'll map it out and we'll take the traffic route, I guess. But um, they went another way. Uh, but there's a short little thing about Wiseman, but yet there's a lot of application or kind of little points that fit us too, that if we want to be wise men, be like these men in this way. And so... That's the first people we encounter. Were there any others before we move on? Yeah. You mentioned the, the gifts being expensive. I can't believe that when Joseph and Mary left Bethlehem, or left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, six miles, that they expected to go to Egypt. And these guys come along and they give them the fare to go. And yeah. They get gold that they can, can use for, for their income. They've got the incense and the Myrrh, both of those are sellable items where they could, could travel and stay in Egypt and yeah. be funded. They helped provide for the for their trip in some ways or this early life. They probably needed some of that money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good thought. Uh, talk about Herod a little bit. Um, Herod is going to be the complete opposite of these guys. Okay, just, just let's get that out of the way. Herod is known as Herod the Great. Um, after the death of uh, Julius Caesar, he was appointed king of the Jews, uh, especially once Jerusalem was captured in 37 B.C. He became the guy. He is one of the most deplorable characters in all of the New Testament and one of the most deplorable characters in all the scriptures. Um, he did not fear God whatsoever. He had no care for his neighbors, for people, and we see that in this story especially he was a jealous uh, man. He was a power-hungry man. We see this through his response. If you look at verse 3, this is actually interesting. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Uh, whenever there's a threat to your power or your position in life, sometimes you would be troubled, especially for a man like him. He's hearing about, it wasn't that Herod knew who the, this already. He's hearing about the wise men looking and this troubles him. Oh, there, oh, there's some Messiah or there's some you know, Jewish king as the person who's now king of the Jews. That would bother him. But notice the second part. All Jerusalem with him. Why would that bother Jerusalem? Don't, don't you want the Jewish king to come? Why do you think they'd be bothered? If you know your king is nuts or the guy in charge of you is nuts, the last thing you want to do is make him angry. He's a vindictive and violent person. And we need to keep moving just a little bit. But he's, he's saying... They were like, hey, let's keep the peace. Let's not make that guy angry. That's exactly right. And so, and we see in, the, in this story why they'd be afraid of this guy. If you look at verse 13, um, when he realizes they've gone another way, that they've been tricked. Here's what it says in verse 13. It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. This is another time this happens for Joseph. It says, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. 
This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. It says then, uh, if we go to verse 16, this is kind of showing what Herod did in the meantime before he died. It says, uh, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that, had been, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Um, scholars estimate that anywhere from 12 to 50 boys would have been killed. Can you imagine that? Uh, just, I know we're not the biggest of towns, but you know, just think about like a small town, 12 to, to maybe 50. I mean, you're just, you're just decimating the future of this town. And you can imagine the mood of that town and everyone who lived there. Um, but no idea how many, um, but it, it, it's a terrible thing. And Jeremiah, that prophecy uh, that it's in, in verse 18 says, then was fulfilled what... All right, well, good evening, everybody. Uh, if you want to turn in your... I got a salute in the back. Okay, all right, that's the first. Um, I probably did that horribly, by the way. I apologize. I don't mean to offend anyone who served. Um, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, uh, if you have that or on your phone, that's where we're going to be spending our time tonight in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, so last week we started... Just this simple series this month called Lessons from the Birth of Jesus. And this time of year, as many people are thinking about the birth, uh, I thought we would spend some time on that. Uh, We speak of the death and the resurrection very often. And that's where we place our emphasis. Especially think about the first day of the week in the communion. Uh, They were to remember the Lord's death. Uh, We we emphasize it, and rightly so. Uh, But that doesn't mean we should never think about the birth. The birth is worthy of our attention. And we talked briefly about that last week. The fact that God became flesh is earth-shattering. I mean, that's life-changing for all people, including us. God becoming flesh means God is knowable. The invisible God, the, the one you had to imagine. He came and put on flesh so that you could see Him. And through His personality and how He lived, you could see what God really is like. God becoming flesh means that He loves mankind. And that means He loves you means that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be connected with you. And he was willing, he wanted that connection so bad that he was willing to leave his form, Paul would say in Philippians 2. He would leave whatever you would call home for him. He would leave everything he's known to live this life on earth. And I think we'd all say this life is beautiful and a blessing, but it's not always beautiful and always a blessing, is it? And he was willing to leave perfection to suffer and live as a man. Uh, that should mean a lot to us. And so the birth of Christ is, is the greatest, one of the greatest sacrifices we ever know. When we think about the sacrifice of Christ, we think of the cross. Just coming to earth was a sacrifice. And so uh, it changes everything for us. And last week we talked about we're not really looking at just the birth per se every time we're together this month. But we want to look at some of the individuals surrounding the birth of Jesus. What's interesting about all of them, whether they were... Uh, for Christ or against Christ is that all of their lives changed in some way as they encountered him and as they interacted in his story and in his life. And last week we looked at the earthly father. We kind of called him the stepfather of Jesus and Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. Do you remember why he was a righteous man that we talked about last week? What about him, what about him and his situation made him a just man when it came to the birth of Jesus? 
Yeah, he, he resolved to put away his wife quietly. He thought she was unfaithful while they were betrothed, which is kind of like fiancé, but it's far more serious than that in Jewish culture. And he said, I'm not going to publicly shame her. I'm not going to punish her. I'm not going to make it a spectacle for everyone to see. I'm going to do it quietly, to, out of honoring of her, respecting of her. He was a just man. And we talked about last week that how we treat people who have or who we think have wronged us says a lot about who we are. Um, and we all deal with that in this life. And we also talked about how sometimes we make decisions based upon assumptions. He made an assumption that she had been unfaithful. We would all have made that assumption, all of us. But he was wrong. And sometimes we do the same. We make judgments about people or situations and we don't know the whole story. And so maybe we need to slow down a bit. Maybe we need to uh, consult God and his word on our situations and judgments. And uh, But he made some assumptions. But the wonderful thing about Joseph, this righteous man, was when God told him the truth and what he wanted him to do, Joseph did it. Joseph was an example of faith and obedience. And that's who we should be too. When God speaks, we listen. When God speaks, we act. That should be the kind of people we want to be. And so last week we talked about Joseph was an amazing father from the very little we know. He was a merciful father, just like Jesus had a heavenly father who was merciful. And he was a faithful man from everything we see in Scripture. And tonight, I want to look at these, a group of people and an individual. I want to look at the wise men in Herod. If you've ever seen a nativity scene on grass, or if you've seen a play or production or a movie or whatever, you're probably familiar with some of these, you know, pictures of the manger and the wise man. I promise we'll talk about Mary, by the way. I promise I'm not just being a 28-year-old male skipping the Mary story. Uh, I'm saving her for the last one, okay? Uh, but we're going to talk about the wise men and Herod and just who they were, and maybe some lessons that we can learn from them. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 2. And I know, by the way, some of this is, they aren't involved in the birth per se, but they're involved in this whole story, the early life. It's very connected, so I thought we'd talk about them. But look at Matthew chapter 2, and what I want to do first is just read the first uh, 12 verses together, and then we'll kind of chop it up and go through it. Uh, so look at verse 1 with me in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, uh, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country uh, by another way. As we look at that tonight... Notice how the chapter started. Uh, after the birth of Jesus, 
In Matthew's gospel, you get she's with child and Joseph's going to leave her. Joseph finds out the truth. He doesn't have any relations with her. And the next chapter is just, oh, and they have the child. Matthew really doesn't get into the details. Uh, This isn't mentioned in John or Mark. Luke goes into more of the birth. So so we'll see that in a few, uh, in a week. Uh, Yeah, a week, I believe. But Matthew is just really kind of hitting some highlights. And he's trying to do things to fit his purpose and trying to show the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. So he doesn't get deep into the actual details of all the birth stuff. But he says, hey, she's born. Or, not she, sorry, Jesus. He's born. Uh, He was born. And so, notice where he's born. Just a few details from Luke that we'll mention. In Luke chapter 2, look, I have it up here on the screen too. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, just a few details that might matter to you and I. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, So there was a census. Uh, This was the first registration when Quirinius uh, was governor of Syria. Don't name your kid Quirinius. I can't say that. No one's going to know how to spell that. Okay, anyway. Uh, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Uh, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Uh, Just a few things to note. There's a census. So you're like, well, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Well, they had traveled there for the census. They had to get registered. That's where he needed to go. That's where he's, uh, that's his home in a way. Bethlehem was a small town about six miles south from Jerusalem. Uh, And this was the birthplace of many people in scripture, including King David. And that's important because Jesus is son of David. So it just fits this kingly Messiah lineage. And so it's in Bethlehem, in Matthew chapter 2, where we pick up. And we'll go into more of the Luke stuff next week. But if you go back to Matthew 2, we pick up, we'll read verse 1 and 2 one more time. Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So I, I told you this, I think, last week. I really have never studied the birth of Jesus much in my life. Not as a teenager. I mean, I knew Jesus was born, spoiler alert, but didn't think much about it more than that. I knew who the wise men kind of were. I didn't realize how many questions that you really can have about the wise men that you just don't know. For example, who are they? Who are they? Uh, what does your Bible call them? So the ESV I'm reading out, it says wise men. Does anybody say anything different? Magi. Okay, so you get magi or wise men in in most of the translations that I think we're using in here. That word wise men or magi comes from a word that often referred to a class of Persian wise men, uh, possibly priests, people who were interpreters of special signs, particularly in astrology. Uh, Eventually that word would be used to refer to one who possessed supernatural knowledge and ability It was used to talk about those who they referred to as a magician or even a deceiver or a seducer. Now, some people call them kings. There's really no history or biblical evidence for them to be kings. But you kind of go, well, who are wise men? Who are magi? It seems they're people who can interpret special signs because they are, if you notice here, they're interested in the signs from the heavens, the stars. They come from the east, 
And when I think of the East, I think of people like the Babylonians. Remember David? Or, sorry, not David. Daniel. In Daniel's time, he had dreams. He was an interpreter. Plenty of Jewish people would have been in captivity. They would have had a chance to start to know some of the Jewish scriptures. And so these people come. Uh, they are interpreters of special signs. Uh, these wise men, per se. And uh, that seems to be who they are. But we really don't know much about them. And there's no way to be absolutely sure uh, who they were. You see in verse 2 and later in verse 10 about the astrology stuff. They seem to know something about the stars and the signs. But we have no way of knowing for certain who they were. And I'm just going to say this now. A lot of the questions you have about the wise men, the answer is, we have no way of knowing for certain the answer. Another question you might have about these guys is, where did they come from? Where does it say they came from? Okay, that's helpful, isn't it? Because everywhere I go today, I say, I'm headed down. Even when I'm going up. I'm going north, I say, I'm going to head down to so-and-so. They were actually from the east, but where is that? I mean, there's plenty of places they could have been from. Um, When it says they came from the east, that phrase can be translated more literally from the rising of the sun. Um, So this could have been Arabia, Persia, Chaldea. It could have been any of the other provinces adjacent to Palestine. One early church father claimed they were from Arabia. A few others claimed they were from Persia. Um, hey, but guess what? We can't be certain where they're from, besides the fact it's, it's from the east. Okay, that makes you ask this question. Were they Jews or were they Gentiles? They come from the east. You might originally think, that sounds like Gentiles. But then notice some of the things they, who are they there to worship? Does that sound like a Gentile to you? And this time, this is, you know, people don't know of Jesus. Really, you know, the Jesus the Gentiles would come to know in his miracles. They don't know this yet. They're looking for his star. They have some inclination of who he is, but are they Gentiles or Jews? There, there are some questions there. Traditionally, it's been thought they were Gentiles. Um, for example, in verse 2, they had to be told. Um, and verse 6 they had to be told of where David's great successor was to be born. Hey, where is he Where is he born? A Jew would probably know the idea that it's going to be Bethlehem. So maybe they're Gentiles. Um, but then again, we're not certain they're Gentiles because Jews had been sc- 